शिलाजी गोपाल की जाए गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गुरु भक्ता बिंद की जाए गुरु प्रेम आनंदी गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन वॉर्म डे हाउ लॉन्ग वी हियर फॉर टुमारो लेवन ओके एनी क्वेश्चन टुनाइट यस You know, it depends how you want to look at it. If you want to look at it from an academic point of view or a um, uh, more uh, subjective practitioner's uh, point of view. So academically speaking, it would appear that Rupa Goswami, from the, <coughs> excuse me, from the 16th century, employed the Nata Shastra the, uh, of Bharat Muni uh more or less uh, a tome uh for uh ancient indian aesthetics drama poetry and so forth to explain vedanta <clears throat> drawing on the taitareya upanishad's statement about brahman being rasa raso vai sa he brahman is rasa So he took this statement, and then he said, well, we, we, you know, if we look at Bharat Muni's aesthetics, then within the aesthetics, this rasa is kind of the the height of emotional uh, experience that um, is thought to displace you to some extent from the immediacy of your situation, for example, in viewing a drama and... When the emotional ingredients of the drama combine in a certain way to reach the pitch of of rasa, where you have dominant emotions that prevail, to be brief about it, then you're transported into the drama and out of your seat, so to speak. So you're kind of displaced, the idea is, from your ordinary perspective and has kind of spiritual... Overtones to it, as as art, drama, and poetry, music, and so forth do anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this was a novel approach to understanding Vedanta, because prior to Rupa's uh, contribution, you had the uh, charges like Ramanuja from the south and Madhva, um, uh, arguing for a theistic um, understanding of the Upanishads in contrast to Shankar's monistic uh, um, and only provisionally theistic perspective. Um, so, uh, by the time of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and and then his empowering of Rupa to write about um, really all that he himself embodied and 
and represented to locate his ecstasy on the scriptural um, map, if you will, uh, Rupa's approach was was rather unique. So, uh, to, to get to your question, from an academic point of view, it would appear that, that Bart's Nata Shastra, Nata Shastra, was centuries earlier than Rupa Goswami. So, obviously, he drew all his terms are drawn from there, the different bhavas and the very term, well, uh, and so forth. Um, and then he employed these this terminology to describe a world of ecstasy, which is the drama of Krishna Lila, and he called it bhakti rasa. So you have your secular rasa shastra, um, and then you have Rupa Goswami's bhakti rasa, which speaks about uh, the dramatic world of uh, Krishna Lila, and the paradigmatic figures in the Lila, Radha, Nanda, Yashoda, that represent uh, different dominant emotions like parental rasa, parental love, vatsalya rasa, sakya rasa, Krishna's friends, madhura rasa, shringa rasa, romantic love for Krishna and so forth. There's a whole drama of the lila. And so he used the language from the secular dramatics, uh, poetry and so forth, to speak about that that world and explain the Upanishadic statement that Krishna is rasa. For there to be rasa, there has to be two. There has to be the object of rasa, of love, and the vehicle, the vessel of love. So you have Radha and Krishna. It's a diad, it's a, a divine. They're both the Godhead in one, so to speak, interacting with one another. Um, Mahabhav and Rasaraj. And Chaitanya's Duyekarup, the two of them in one form. Hmm? So that's one uh, typical um, academic perspective. Now, that said, the which would put it one way that Rupa borrowed from Bharat this language and system to um, to speak about uh, his ideal. But that said, his ideal is found where. It's found in Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Purana, excuse me, which predates Bharat's work. Hmm? And there the drama of Krishna Leela is the subject. Like I said the other night, there are other Puranas where the Leelas of Krishna are described, but they're they're really just described in sequence. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, which differentiates them from the Bhagavatam which, that is so rich by comparison, because it seeks to bring out the feeling of the history of Krishna Lila, the, the, the parental love of Yashoda, and the Dhamadar Lila, the way it, it's played out over chapters, Krishna's friends, and the Agasura Lila, Denakasura Lila, the Rasa Lila, the Ras Panchajaya, the five chapters about Radha and Krishna meeting with gopis, uh, in consummating their relationship, and so forth. Uh, and, and they, and they, these, the Bhagavad itself lends itself so much to a tradition of commentary unlike the Vishnu Purana um, the uh, Padma Purana the uh, um, even Harivams Purana even which is sometimes thought to be a supplement to the Bhagavatam so you have a rich tradition of commentary there are over 80 Sanskrit commentaries on the Bhagavatam 
Srimad Bhagavatam has been translated into every Indian dialect and into French and German and English, and it's it's quite the rage, if you will, amongst Puranas. <laughs> uh, and the subject is very rich. I mean, it's 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 the it's the it's depicting the Godhead in a way that we could, even on the basis of our human emotions, bond with the idea, because they're the Godheads acting like us in many respects, similar but not the same. Our acts are ultimately selfish as much as they're we're identified with the body, the body has needs, we're um, on the take rather than than being able to fully give. So it's similar but not the same. It's full full giving, no selfishness there. But um, but the point is then relative to your question, if you look at the Bhagavatam then Vishvana Chakravarti Thakur gives this idea on the first stanza of the Bhagavatam. Tene Brahma Rudayadi Kavi Muyanti Yatsu, right? Tene Brahma, that Adi Kavi, Kavi means learned person, poet. So one of his his explanations of the first verse, Tene Brahma means that he inspired or I would say transferred spirituality, Brahma, into Adikavahurai, the heart of the original poet. So one inter- interpretation of that is Brahma. Hmm? But Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur, he says, into the uh, heart of, um, what is it, Rupa Goswami, hmm? the Adikavi of, of, of Gaudiya Sampradaya. <laughs> And um, and um, and so he's he's writing about bhakti rasa that even even the gods have difficulty understanding even 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 Bharata Muni is the implication the author of the Nata Shastra that predates Rupa's work has had difficulty understanding and this is what Kaviraj Krishna says. Representing Rupa Goswami in his Chaitanya Charitamrita, he says, Bharat Muni has said that in romantic love within Indian aesthetics and drama, that the male and the female enjoy equally. Mm-hmm. But in Bhakti Rasa mm-hmm. of Rupa Goswami and the Bhagavatam, which is a Rasa Shastra of a spiritual nature, so, besides, so the point is also that there, while Bharat Muni is Brook is the original Nata Shastra. It's a secular uh, text. The Bhagavatam is not a secular text, but it is a Rasa Shastra. Nigama Kalbhutaro Galitam Palam Shukumukadamrita Drabasam Bhutam Pibhata Bhagavatam Rasam Malayam Mahuraho Rasika Bhubi Babuka. It's a Rasa Shastra for Rasikas, for Babukas. Hmm? And um, um, so you have this. This is what the Goswamis are pointing out. As they shine, as they cast the uh, uh, the light on the Bhagwat of all the sacred texts of India hmm, as being significant in the hub around which the others orbit if they're to be understood properly in context. So here's a Rasa Shastra that is, that, that is spiritual, right? hmm, divine. The subject is Krishna, Krishna Leela. Um, and in the in that Ras Shastra 
the hero is Krishna, the Naika, and Naiki, <laughs> and the heroine is Radha, right? But there's a distinct difference in this drama from the secular uh, drama of Bart, and in one of them, the principal one, we should say, is what that in the in the in Bhakti Rasa, Radha's experience in romantic love with Krishna far exceeds Krishna's experience, whereas Bharat said they're equal. So Vishnu says he didn't get it. Bharat Muni didn't get it. <laughs> Rupa Goswami has come to correct direct him about that. And of course, we make this point for good reason because because if Radha's love experience her rasa experience exceeds that of Krishna's, then there is a place for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because that's the whole idea of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You understand the psychology of Krishna in the drama of his Leela. He more or less, in an introspection, says something like this, everybody worships me. I'm God. But there's something very confusing to me, Krishna says, and that is, and nobody really realizes it, that while everyone worships me, I have worshipable feelings towards her. Hmm? And I see in her a kind of madness and ecstasy that I'm attracted to, that it's beyond my own experience. And so this is an esoteric as I you call it, an, ex- an existential crisis for Krishna. Am I God? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, of course, he reasons it out because he's very intelligent and he comes to the conclusion that Radha is the way she is, which is attractive to me, because she sees and experiences something in me from her vantage point that I cannot experience from my vantage point. So therefore, I want to experience myself from her vantage point. How can I do that? I can't become Radha. Radha is Radha, and I'm Krishna. <laughs> so he creates another Leela. That is Gaur Leela. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then is Krishna. Antar Krishna Bahir Gauram. He's Krishna. He's dark, complected inside, but he's golden, complected on the outside, which is the complexion of, of, of Radha, the color of Mahabhav. Krishna is the color sham of romantic love, and Radha is the, the color of the extreme form of romantic love we call Mahabhav. So Chaitanya Mahabhu is, is, is Krishna trying to enter into the mood of Radha in a new Leela, and as a result, his complexion is turning gold, and he's rather mad. And so, so it's an important point, right, that the love of Radha, which means bhakti, that the experience of the bhakta is desirable from Krishna's point of view. While he's the object of all that bhaktas love, he's attracted to, to their love, especially in its fullest manifestation in the form of Radha. So this is a very key point that Bharat missed out on. <laughs> so, if you will... Um, and it's there in the Bhagavatam, which predates him. He should be deferring to it, because it's the original Ras Shastra 
in, in a sense, right? Hmm? Coming out of the Shruti, which is thought to be apodusheya, hmm? just sounds that, it, that exist, that can be experienced in meditation and then, then written down and shared and so forth. And the Purana is the, is the explanation of those sounds played out in narratives, make them more understandable. Hmm? With regard to the Bhagavatam, it is a Purana in a genre, as far as literature goes, but it's a Rasa at the same time. So it has three voices because the Rasa speaks in a romantic voice, the Purana speaks in a friendly voice, the Veda speaks in a, like a fatherly voice, do this. You have to go to school. You cannot go to America. <laughs> Whatever it may be. So all these three voices are there in the Bhagavatam. Again, it's richness. So it's 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 therefore it's called the Mahapurana. Hmm? And um, and the original, if you will, Janmadi Asayata, it is the original Ras Ras Shastra. Hmm? Adi Rasa. Another interpretation. Janmadi Jan, was it Janmari Asya Yataha? Hmm. The original Rasa book. So Bard should have defer, deferred to, referred to, and obviously he, he, he didn't, and he made a huge mistake. It's a small area, you might think, oh, but it's a huge mistake, you understand, from the, <laughs> from the spiritual practitioner's point of view, hmm? from the point of view, we could say, of, 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 uh, uh, of, the, of the spiritual reality. And so we tend to look at it in, in that way, rather than from a dry and academic uh, perspective that uh, seeks to be um, entirely objective, which is maybe you would think would be the way to get at the truth of the matter, but perhaps not. Um, you might just be analyzing outside of the jar without ever tasting the honey inside. So what, what does it mean to know? What, what does it mean to understand a thing comprehensively? Hmm. Yes, there has to be some objectivity. Therefore, we have to step back a bit from the world to see it for what it is, but then properly understood it can be entered into. So there's Vedanta and there's Bhakti. There's a head and a heart to the whole thing, not just a head. Hmm. What is the use of a head if it does away with the heart? It's useless. Hmm? <laughs> it's absolutely useless. And that's the problem with modern uh, philosophy. Uh, you know, f- since philosophy became unhinged from uh, forms of revelation in Western philosophy, and this goes on and on, and whatever, think it out however you want. And so they thought themselves into existentialism. Do I exist? <laughs> Time could be better spent <laughs> existing <laughs> and, 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 and exploring the, 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 the richness and the possibilities of it and so forth. Mm. So, um, so the, uh, and, and, and of course the spiritual approach to it is not without any, as I say, objective eye or any... Um, we're well aware of the, the dates of Bart's work and Rupa's work, and we can understand that kind of perspective. But where does it where does it leave? And how how much will it? Yeah. Again, the the uh, um, 
that's why I should say, even in academics in, in more recent years, there used to be this real hard line before in, in academics where you would have to be, the, the teaching was totally objective and the practitioner's experience was, that has nothing to do here, there's no, no place here. That, uh, that didn't work out so well, or it, did, it, it was thought not to give a complete view. So now there is some incorporation of that kind of perspective. I mean, maybe you people are younger, some of you here don't know, but in, in previous times it was like that, an academic. I'm not an academic, but I know about it. <laughs> that was like, uh, yeah. Well, it's still there to some extent. Obviously, you can't, like, preach your religion in the class when you're when you're a religious teacher you got to be objective and so forth but what are the practitioners experience and what's their perspective is much brought into the field to try to get a more complete understanding hmm, of the of the subject hmm. so um, so i i think that our perspective on that as practitioners of Gaudiya Vaishnavism the bhakti rasa hmm, um, look at it more that Rupa's well you can't say Bharat's work comes from Rupa because he came before but that um, that he didn't he didn't get it right something like that he, he, he didn't approach it as as Rupa Goswami did hmm prostrated before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. Does that help answer your question? Yes. I, in that light, um, yes. I was trying to figure out if in our everyday lives, things that we are doing, performing, just everyday tasks and whatnot, is there a way of looking at all those tasks as like devotional service? I mean, it's so different than years ago and we're passing out books and it was obviously a straight line. And yeah, the, true, the, secret, the secret to that is that um, the power of bhakti is considerable in comparison to yoga or jnana as disciplines unto themselves. Hmm? Therefore, in order to practice yoga, uh, according to the Yoga Sutra, there are certain qualifications that, that need to be in place, like brahmacharya, to be successful, that's a pretty high qualification. <laughs> so that's not wouldn't be too popular in the yoga community <laughs> to stress that point, but it's there in the sutras. Uh, this isn't the case with bhakti, because the power or gyan gyan knowledge won't come in. It's thought into an impure heart. Therefore, it's recommended do nishkam karma, do karma without being attached to the results. This will purify the heart. Then the ingress of wisdom will come. Hmm? But for bhakti, bhakti can go into an impure heart. She's independent. Hmm? Purify one. Hmm? It's her power. So the power of bhakti is such that you don't have to be a, a renunciate, uh, a brahmacharya. You could be a family person. And there are many in in, a, in the mytho-historical you know, literature and so forth. You have Shiva. Shiva's married. And uh, he's a devotee. And... Uh, and uh, and, and so many hmm, are, are there. Um, so the power of bhakti is such that uh, um, um, 
Well, to use that example, one could be a householder or could... Bhaktivinoda you know, says, Grihe tako bane tako. Sada hari bole dako. Grihe tako bane tako. Whether you live in a house or you live in the forest, like a yati, a sannyasi, the teaching is sada hari bole dako. Don't forget the sada. <laughs> well, let's chant the name of Hari. Hmm. Uh, so, it's easy if you're always chanting, but then householder life involves other things. It's take care of kids, for example. Uh, and um, and so you got to have work, and so, so forth. So, the idea is, therefore, that whether you're a sannyasin, a yati, or an unseat, a tagi, in your psychological orientation or a householder, the goal is the same and the path is the same, but relative to the position and and the approach, whether it be as a householder, there'll be some differences. So each person has to give everything but you'll do it in different ways. So, a, a, a monk living in the in the forest also has needs, has to eat, right? Has to have some a tree to sleep under or something like that. However, you want to, you know, bear it down. There's still going to be some material necessities that he or she are going to have to make an effort for, and. Same holds too for the householder, although it's extended. They have children, they have one another, but the same principle is there. So, so there's a there's a, there's there's I would say like a license or a a um, quota or something like that, or, or for uh, meeting one's basic necessities, hmm? and in the context of that, being a practitioner, a sadaka. And so the necessities will be different. And they'll be different for different householders, too. Some householders are simple people, can live simply. Other people need a little more cash, you know, and whatever. You know, they're, they come from a different family and background. They're accustomed to different things. So they have certain sensibilities. And the idea is to find that balance wherein you're taking materially enough that you need to be emotionally whole enough to pursue wholeheartedly the spiritual life. And that'll be slightly different for different people. And what you you, you have to people have to be honest. So you have to stress honesty, honesty and and, and, and so on. Um, and um, and then those things that you have to do, like let's say for example you feel I one feels, I need a partner. I feel strongly that I need a partner in life. And I and, and I find myself thinking about it, looking for one all the time, you know. And so that time could be spent thinking about God, but, but I can't do that. So let me get a partner and then we'll think about God together, something like that, right? So one decides to become a householder. So there's a place for that, right? And then 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 you have to think, in order for me to practice, given my psychology, my my um, emotional sensibilities, 
where I am on the path and so forth. I need a partner. And maybe I need a couple kids too, let's say, for example. And I feel, and I need a good job and so on. So I got to get those things in place. And, 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 but the perspective is, I need to get those things in place for a reason. And the central reason is so that I can engage in bhakti, which is what life is really all about, and which will be an example of that, and, and so forth. So that has to be the central kind of hub, you understand, around which you do everything else. And then those things can be, which ordinarily would incur karma and implication, can be consumed by the fire of your uh, that you're, that's burning within for higher interest and pursuit. Hmm? So bhakti has the power to consume those activities which ordinarily would be, implicate you more in, in samsara. Hmm? You understand? So that kind of perspective is there. And, and in, within that, you know, there's some, a little place for everything. Um, uh, Gita says one should be regulated in their habits of eating, sleeping, and recreation. So, yuktahara viharas, yeah. Uh, so, so you you want you want a kind of a sattvic life in a sense. You want a life of material balance. Hmm? Then you're going to be in a good position. If you want to jump up and touch the stars, it's good to start with two feet on the ground instead of one. <laughs> so you need that material balance. If you want to build a tall building, you need some horizontal groundwork to begin with. So with good guidance then you can pursue that and be honest about it and build that foundational horizontal groundwork with a view to, to build a you know, skyscraper of bhakti temple, something like that. Uh, Being honest to oneself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be honest to yourself. And, and, you know, of course, in bhakti there's a learning curve too, so... You know. And you go off the, off the track a little bit. You go, well, whoops, you know, I've got to get back on here. And and the remorse, naturally, in healthy in a healthy sense, um, makes up for the for the um, um, the lapse, if you will. So that's kind of the basic um, idea. And um, stay in good company. You kind of keep that perspective. And um, many of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates were family people and so forth, and and, and they were fully engaged in bhakti, and we learned from them and so forth, both their lives of the householders and and the renunciates. And, and, uh, you know, in one sense, the the renunciates and the householders are basically different psychologies and ways to approach it. It doesn't necessarily mean one's more advanced than another. That said... Monastic life does lend to, you know, more immediate kind of involvement and and, and and practice. And as much as it does, those with that type of psychology that can thrive there should use that, take advantage of that, and progress in such a way that they can be an example for householders who, when they come to the ashram, to the temple, it's actually a place that gives them energy and inspires them and so forth. And, 
And, um, and of course, then, for with regard to recreation, the household's real recreation should be that now that I've got basically what I, my basic needs, and I'm honest about it, because without the honesty, the needs can always just increase and increase, then I use my disposable income, largely. My fun is to see a temple built, to see a book printed about bhakti, to see... Uh, um, serve the monks at the te- at the temple, bring them some some rice or something. This becomes the joy then of the household, and then the, the monks they so they have this reciprocal relationship um, where the monks inspire the householders, householders provide for the monks, and very beautiful arrangement. So that's a general idea. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Yes, on my. Um, you said a couple of weeks ago that we accept as an article of faith that the material body can become fully spiritualized eventually through practice. But I've also <coughs> heard you say that um, you can't, there can't be praying in the material bodies. I don't understand. No. Up to praying. There are, there's development beyond prem. Sneha, man, pranay, ragna, rag, mahabhav. So in the sadhakadeha, is the practitioner's body, up to prem, and then they pass on into the lila, the prakat lila, the manifest lila, the boma lila. And there, there's further development in terms of your dominant relationship to bring it to its full flowering and fruiting stage. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, but the spiritualization of the body, if you will, is something like, uh, like the, I've compared it to the transubstantiation idea within Catholicism. Um, such things are possible. What else? Yes. What's the time? Um, according to Srila Jiva Goswami, uh, there are different classes of bhakti, Arupa Siddhi Bhakti, Sangha Siddha Bhakti, and Sarup Siddha Bhakti. And I'm trying to understand, understand them as classes, or are, are they also stages? Or They're not stages, no. Arupa means what? It means, um, what would it be? Imposition. It means... Uh, that something is not necessarily bhakti unto itself. Like growing flowers is not bhakti. All kinds of people grow flowers. Hmm? But you could grow flowers for Krishna. Hmm? And then, what's the English term? For a rope? Imposition. Imposition, designate, something like that. So then, now you have kind of like turned it into bhakti. Hmm? It's not inherently bhakti. Chanting is inherently bhakti. Right? Chanting the names of Krishna. So, like assign, I think it's like assignment. So you've assigned bhakti to it. I've made this a garden for Krishna. Otherwise, it's a, there's a garden, all kinds of people have gardens. There's a garden for Krishna. So, by assigning a rope, then it becomes bhakti. Okay? And then there's Sangha Bhakti. So that means that 
um, archan, like arati, so is an expression of archan. This is sangha siddha, uh, sarup siddha bhakti. It's directly bhakti, right? But in order to do archan, like arati, arati, arati with a with a lamp, aratri, then you need cotton, right? So you have to make a cotton swab, hmm? put it in ghee, and so forth. Uh, so these are sangha means associated with. They're activities that are associated with something that is bhakti. Like if you're going to perform a fire sacrifice, you need wood. Gathering wood is is not a fire sacrifice, but you can't have one without wood. <laughs> so by by Sangha Siddha Bhakti means by things that are associated with, they become bhakti. Hmm? So now it's become bhakti. Hmm? That's Sangha Siddha Bhakti. And then there's Swarup Siddha Bhakti. Swarup Siddha Bhakti means chanting Hare Krishna, offering the arati. Therefore it is said, there was a, it said in one of the Puranas, there was a, there was a rat who went and drank the ghee from the ghee Lamp in the temple, but then the 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 lamp the the wick got stuck on his nose, so he was going like this in front of the deity. So he got bhakti because <laughs> he offered arti to Krishna, <laughs> something like that. It's in front of the Puranas. It's making a point that there are certain activities that are directly bhakti, that whether you think they're bhakti or not, or you don't even know that they're bhakti, they're bhakti. So if you touch fire, you're going to get burnt, something like that. So they're inherently bhakti. Hmm. So there's great power in them, comparatively. Hmm. Because again, even if you don't know that they're bhakti, and you and, and you visit the, the temple, and you see the arctic, there you are, you're standing, and there are many things said about that. If you stand before the deity and witness the arctic, there will be good results and so forth. So that's how to understand those terms. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. So scratching the neck of cows? That is directly bhakti. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that is an anga of bhakti. Oh. In uh, It is. In uh, uh, Rupa Goswami is given so many angas of bhakti in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And among them there is the worship of sacred trees like the banyan, fig tree, and so forth. And in the commentary, Jeeva Goswami says, this means also scratching the necks of cows and giving them fresh fodder and, and so forth. And so, it's, it's directly an anga of bhakti. And of course, here we have Krishna's cows, so even more so. What else? Sham is resting. He's getting sick. Oh, okay. All right, we'll stop there. Sri Sri Daji Gopal Ki Jai. Gauri